Father, we come before you and we want to recognize how much we need to be in your presence, how much we need to hear from you, how much we need to speak to you, what is on our hearts. It's not that you don't know. You already know, but you want to engage us in relationship. So even as we go to your word, may it be like you're speaking to us rather than us reading words off a page or off a screen. May it feel like the one and only true living God is with us and for us and wants to lead us, wants to provide for us, wants to show us something different, something new, something life-giving this morning. And that's only possible through your Son, Jesus Christ, and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So we depend on you. And truly, may the words of my mouth and the meditation of all our hearts be pleasing in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. So let me ask a question uh, for us to begin. If you came across a quote-unquote miracle drug to improve the physical and mental health of millions of Americans, millions, and it cost you nothing, how quickly would you take this miracle drug? And what if this miracle drug was backed by years and years of data and statistics? How quickly... Too close. How quickly... How quickly would you want this drug to be made available to everybody? Uh, and epidemiology professor Tyler Vanderweel, right near here at Harvard University, he has spent over 20 years researching that attending religious services regularly brings about better physical and mental health. Doesn't that make you feel good about being here uh, today? So Professor Vanderweel looked at specific, uh, one specific segment of people. He researched a bunch of different people, but he wanted to look at healthcare workers who attended religious services regularly. And here are some stats that he, he found out. He found that 29%, they were 29% less likely to be depressed, 50% less likely to divorce, five times less likely to commit suicide, and I don't know how he researched this last one, but 33% less likely to die than those who never attend religious services. Professor Vanderweel also noted that out of the Americans who say that they believe in God, almost half do not attend church services. And in an article that he wrote for USA Today, he writes this, Something about the communal religious experience and participation matters. Something powerful appears to take place there and enhances health. It is something quite different from solitary spirituality. I don't know if uh, Professor Vanderweel is a believer or not, but he is providing data and statistics, and he is saying there's something very special about gathering in person with one another for worship to sit under a teaching, to worship together with peers. And really, aren't you glad that you're here this morning? There's research telling us that church is good for you physically and mentally. Last week, we started a sermon series that we have titled, Come and See. And the pastors wanted to spend the Sundays, particularly after Easter, uh, looking at how God's people celebrate in the Bible. Uh, we Celebrated Easter two Sundays ago. It feels like a lot longer than that, but it was only two Sundays ago. 
But we pour so much energy and, and time and excitement into Easter Sunday and then let the other Sundays kind of fall under its shadow. But the reality is that every Sunday is a celebration of Jesus' resurrection. And this invitation, come and see, uh, comes from Psalm 66, which reads, Come and see what, the, what God has done, his awesome deeds for mankind. And we want this invitation to be the case for us here at Cornerstone. And while, you know, this data saying that it's, it's good for us physically and mentally to, to gather in church services, um, it's from an external view. I, I believe when we look at scripture, we see that all these benefits are secondary to this invitation, that we come and see what God has done, and there we reap all the benefits of being in relationship with him. So, We are praying that Cornerstone would always be a church that constantly says to one another and to those who don't know Jesus yet that come and see what God has done. And if we continue in Psalm 66, we are invited to come and see that God turned the sea into dry land. God turned the sea into dry land and the Israelites, they passed through the waters on foot. The psalm writer is talking about the experience of God's people being led by Moses out of Egypt, walking across the parted waters of the Red Sea. God's people experience this miraculous deliverance, and they celebrate this deliverance in Exodus 15, which is where we want to go this morning. So if you have your Bibles, let's turn to Exodus 15. And we will look through the bulk of Exodus 15, but for now we will only read uh, select verses. So Exodus 15 verses 1 and 2, and then we'll skip down. Exodus 15, verse 1. Then Moses and the Israelites sang this song to the Lord. I will sing to the Lord, for he is highly exalted. Both horse and driver he has hurled into the sea. The Lord is my strength and my defense. He has become my salvation. He is my God, and I will praise him. My Father's God, and I will exalt him. And then we'll skip down to verse 11. Who among the gods is like you, Lord? Who is like you, majestic in holiness, awesome in glory, working wonders? And this is where we'll stop. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. In the chapter before our passage this morning, Moses leads God's people out of Egypt after being enslaved for 400 years. On seeing the Israelites leave his country, Pharaoh changes his mind and sends 600 chariots and and officers to go pursue God's people in the desert. And God's people, they see the Egyptian army drawing closer and their backs are against the Red Sea. It's exactly where God wanted them to camp. They have nowhere to run. They think that they're going to die. But God commands Moses to raise his staff, to stretch out his hand over the Red Sea, to divide the water, and the Israelites pass safely to the other side, walking on dry ground, while Pharaoh and his army would not. Exodus 15 is this song of celebration right after this event. Moses leads all of God's people into worship after being saved through this unforgettable and powerful act of God. And for the people of God, the Exodus experience is something that would define them and center their identity for forever. I think to this day, Jewish uh, believers see the Exodus as a central event in their faith and in, in their identity. 
And in Exodus 15, we see the celebration of a community after being rescued by God in a mighty way. So I, I want to look at Exodus 15 from the vantage point of how we can experience the most meaningful and life-giving corporate worship here at Cornerstone. And if you're here visiting, maybe just for one Sunday or for the first time, at whatever church you end up at, I want to look at Exodus 15 to see how we can participate concretely to have the most meaningful and life-giving corporate worship. Moses isn't singing a song about his personal um, feelings and, and personal benefits of being saved by God. He's, he is singing a song that Israel probably sang over and over and over throughout their history. So even when we come to Sunday service, we can worship in a very individualistic way, and we can be really detached from community. It's very easy to do that. We can worship in a way that is chiefly concerned about what we want, what we prefer, what we expect, but the power of gathering as a church, the power of gathering comes from having shared experience, experiences and journeying with God together. So in some ways, Exodus 15 is this recipe of what meaningful and life-giving corporate worship looks like. And I want to share two components of that. Hopefully, they're easy to remember. Two specific components for meaningful and life-giving corporate worship. Component number one is reflect on God's past faithfulness. Reflect on God's past faithfulness. Our worship has to include this looking back to the past where God has shown up. He's proven to be good and faithful to us. And for Cornerstone to experience the most meaningful worship and life-giving worship together as a church, we have to look back at what God has done in our lives and in our church. And Moses, here he looks back at this experience of this miracle. It's unexplainable how they could have walked across the Red Sea. And he gives all the credit to God. If you look at verses 1 to 21, there is no part where Moses takes any credit. He gives any credit to Israel. It's all about God. And I've actually asked Andrew, uh, in, who led us in worship today, to just sing about songs about God today. We're not going to sing about what we're going to do, uh, what we want. We're going to sing about who God is. And I think that's what it looks like to have, you know, I'm not saying other songs are bad. I'm saying these songs are very essential for us to connect with God, to have worship that that matters to as many people as possible. In Moses' eyes, God did all the heavy lifting to save his people. And one example we see is in verses 8 and 10. And it's, it's, it's kind of a weird thing, but... Verse 8 talks about the blast of God's nostrils. I don't know why it was a thing, but uh, when I was growing up, uh, my friends and I, we tried to blow out our birthday candles with just, the, you know, like one nostril. And it, to think about it with COVID, it's like the nastiest thing that we could ever have done. I don't know why I brought that up, but, <laughs> but if, God ha- if God were to have a human face, all he would have to do is blow out through his nose. That's how powerful he is. In Moses' eyes, he doesn't have to raise a hand. He doesn't have to lift a finger to defeat the enemy of God's people. And in hindsight, we see that God is just that powerful. And verse 10 also talks about the breath of God. As easy as it is to exhale, that's how God defeats the enemy 
of his people. And not only do you see how mighty God is, but on the flip side, you see how impotent and puny God's enemies are in comparison to him. The song points out the arrogant boasting of the enemy in verse 9. They're, they're making plans to destroy the Israelites. They're so sure of it, but God takes care of them completely. We see the ultimate fate of those who pursue evil purposes. Pharaoh was a very real threat at the time. The Egyptian army was known to be the most technologically advanced, the most mighty, the most well-trained. So they weren't nobodies. They were a very real threat, but in comparison to who God is, in comparison to Yahweh, they were weak, they were ineffective, they were unsuccessful in their motives. And every believer here in this room, every believer worshiping today all across the world, they have a unique story. We have a unique story of how Jesus saved us. And each of these stories, there's both a declaration of how good and faithful, loving, patient, kind, and strong God is. And on the flip side, there is also a declaration of how worthless and pointless, evil, cruel, inadequate, and weak everything and everyone else is for our ultimate good. So whenever Cornerstone gathers on Sundays or midweeks, midweek in our college campus small groups or young adult DNA groups, or married community groups, we are declaring the words of Psalm 66, come and see what God has done. He is mighty, everything else is not. That's, that's a testimony right there. Sometimes we short sell our personal stories, but that's all it's about. And as we gather in corporate worship, it's all these testimonies combining together, converging together to exalt God. And when we sing simple songs of how great God is, you just have to imagine all of the backstories of the voices that are being lifted at that current moment. The invitation to come and see what God has done is not admiring God from a distance. The invitation to come and see is looking back at God's faithfulness in our past and then beholding for ourselves. We claim God for ourselves Corporate worship is not meant to be about appreciate, appreciating God as a spectator or a tourist, like you're passing through a town. Corporate worship is meant for us to see God for who he is based on what he accomplishes and then say that he is my God and I will praise him. And then we invite others to join us and to do, and to do the same. So this morning and this moment is Yahweh, your strength? Is he your defense? Is he your salvation? And if you're feeling like you're, you've barely made it to Sunday, does any part of you want Yahweh to be your strength, defense, and salvation? If yes, I believe wholeheartedly that God is honored by that desire. In verse 1, Moses leads this song and he says, I will sing. I will sing. And this phrase can actually be translated as I must sing, or let me sing. After experiencing what the Israelites did, there is no other reasonable thing to do but to praise God, to sing about how great and mighty and gracious he is, and the expectation was for others to join him in doing the same. I must sing about the God who saved me. I must sing about the God who is stronger than my enemy, stronger than my mistakes, stronger than any of my experiences. 
But corporate worship is also about what we experience together as a, as a body, as, as a church family. You know, last week, Pastor Danny invited me to a college ministry lunch, um, and I quickly realized how much older uh, I, I am. Um, and I gave a ride to a few Brandeis students. I don't know if you're still here. I know it's finals time, but uh, Anthony, Insu, and Aaron, I remembered your names. They're in my manuscript. Uh, and I had to pause and remember that I'm approaching 14 years here at Cornerstone, and I remember the first Brandeis student who attended Cornerstone back in 2009. She was the only Brandeis student at the time. Right now, Brandeis is one of the bigger campuses in our college ministry. Despite the longer commute, they're here on time, like almost every Sunday. It's pretty amazing. And more than the number of students um, from Brandeis, what is more telling of God's power is that we continue, Cornerstone continues to see Brandcorn students get baptized and get confirmed, even as recent as two Sundays ago through Robert's baptism. That's just one example. That's just one campus. You know, I got totally distracted this week. I was looking at old young adult retreat group pictures, and the first one I led, it was maybe 40 people. Only about 10 of us are still here. But to think about where everyone ended up, to think about where, you know, all those people's stories, and then to think about the young adults who are coming in now, you don't start from a blank slate. You come into this legacy, this lineage of believers who've been here at Cornerstone. There are people who've been here longer than me who've been at Cornerstone through the entire 18 years that it has existed. And I'm not trying to puff up Cornerstone. Cornerstone is a very imperfect church with a lot of different needs, a lot of different shortcomings. But as long as it continues to exist, my prayer is that it would always be a church that proclaims, come and see what God has done. And as long as God continues to be gracious to us and we continue to witness his great work in our community, I pray that that would always be the case. We look back at God's faithfulness and that drives our worship Sunday after Sunday, week after week. So we have to look at past faithfulness to us as individuals, but also to us as a community. And the second component that we have to look at is that we have to cling to God's future promises together. God's future promises together. For meaningful and life-giving worship, we have to, we have to be very clear-sighted about what is moving us forward. As a church, we have to look at what God promises to do for us. As individuals, we have to look at what God promises to, to do for us. And when we look at Israel in Exodus 15, they had no idea what was going to be right after they crossed the Red Sea. But their worship was full of bold declarations of what God would do for them. I just want to read a couple of verses. Verse 13 in your unfailing love, you will lead the people you have redeemed. In your strength, you will guide them to your holy dwelling. This was a people who did not have a country, a land for themselves. They're declaring something bold here. 
And then looking down to, to verse 17, you will bring them in and plant them on the mountain of your inheritance, the place, Lord, you made for your dwelling, the sanctuary, Lord, your hands established. The Lord reigns forever and ever. Israel is talking about becoming a nation after being enslaved for over 400 years. Israel is talking about arriving at this land that God had promised them years and years ago. And they are singing as if they are sure of it. After experiencing God's great work of parting the Red Seas, the Israelites worship by declaring that God will finish what he started. God's people worship anticipating that he will lead them to their destination. God's past faithfulness means that God's future promises are secure. And he has had a perfect track record for the Israelites up to this point. And this song in Exodus is doubling down on God always having that perfect track record. God will reign forever and ever. And this is important because they make these bold, 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 bold claims. And then literally the passage after, starting in verse 22, they, it's like they lose their memories. Israel did not know it, but the countries that they named in verses 14 and 15, they would be the, the opposition for them occupying the promised land. Israel didn't know it, but they would have to wander in the wilderness for 40 years for a trip that could have potentially taken only 11 days. They had to take the long road to experience fulfillment of God's promises. And starting in verse 22, they they complain about not having water, not having food, and then not having water again. After seeing God part the Red Sea as if God would have done that so that they would die of thirst or die of hunger in the wilderness. God didn't change between crossing the Red Sea and entering the wilderness. He was the same God who rescued them from Egypt and at the Red Sea. It was the Israelites who had changed. They lost sight of who God was to them and what he had done for them. And, you know, if, if we could take the time, all of us have been on the quote-unquote uh, quote long road, haven't we? In some area of our lives. In a church like ours, there are a lot of people, a lot of people, you know, almost every year who get accepted to the school of their dreams, the program of their dreams, and they feel like it's a perfect answer to prayer. People get a new job. They decide to move to a new city, and they are sure that it is God providing that way, only to arrive at a point where it feels like a curse rather than a blessing. Some of us have had to take the long road in getting married. I did. I took a long time to get married. Some of us have taken the, the long road in staying married, in having children. Some of us had to, had to take the long road in becoming healthy physically, emotionally, and spiritually. And a few of us might even feel like every part of our life feels like we're taking the long road. When we gather as a community, a crucial part of our corporate worship is to cling to God's promises together. As each of us walk our unique journeys, our unique relationships with, with God, with persistence and in trust, 
Cornerstone will be a place that is full of individuals who have story after story after story where God proves himself over and over and over that he will never let us down. It took 40 years, but Israel arrived at the promised land. God will patiently, wisely, and lovingly walk us through any and every circumstance that we face. And there will be more and more stories of brokenness being put back together, darkness being conquered, the things that seemingly unsolvable being fixed and hopeless situations being redeemed in Jesus' name here at our church when we cling to God's promises together. And that we will arrive at the same conclusion as Moses and the Israelites in verse 18. The Lord reigns forever and ever. In verse 11, Moses talks, uh, asks this rhetorical question, who is like our God? Who is like our God? And the answer is no one. The unspoken answer is nobody. If God reigned in the moment when he saved my life, he reigns over what I'm facing today, and he will reign over what I will face tomorrow. If God reigned over there, God reigns here. If God reigned back then, he reigns now, and then he will also reign in the future. And this has to be the case for us corporately too. And I don't know if we've soft-pedaled it, but Cornerstone is facing some very real uncertainties in the future. More than ever, we need to cling to God's promises together as a church family. With greater togetherness and, and unity, we need to pray over this significant financial deficit that we're expecting to face in the upcoming year. We also need to ask God to do something miraculous in providing a space for worship beyond the 13 months that we have at the Ben Franklin Institute of Technology. We have to cling to God's promises together as a church. There's a prayer um, that I came across this week uh, from an American Trappist monk who lived in the early um, 20th century. And this this 13-line prayer became known as the Merton Prayer from Thomas Merton, and it goes like this. My God, I have no idea where I am going. I do not see the road ahead of me. I cannot know for certain where it will end. Nor do I really know myself, and the fact that I think I am following your will does not mean that I am actually doing so. But I believe that the desire to please you does in fact please you. And I hope I have that desire in all that I am doing. I hope that I will never do anything apart from that desire. And I know that if I do this, you will lead me by the right road, though I may know nothing about it. Therefore, I will trust you always, though I may seem to be lost and in the shadow of death. I will not fear, for you are ever with me, and you will never leave me to face my perils alone." I wish we had more prayers like this on Sunday mornings. In my view, I, I believe that spiritual maturity is knowing when to say, I don't know. That's humility. I think spiritual maturity also is about claiming what we do know, and it's God's promises. We need more prayers like this in the church. And Looking at the past, um, God has been faithful to us. God has always provided a, a worship space for Cornerstone over the 18 years of, it, of, its, of its existence, even if it was over the internet during the pandemic. God has also provided uh, financially for Cornerstone over those 18 years. And 
also, looking back, in 2015, we had a very similar, not as much, but a similar financial deficit in 2015 that God walked us through. I am not worried about whether God will prove to be faithful. I am wanting all of us to go through that journey together. If you consider Cornerstone, your church in Boston, you are part, part of this church family at this particular time for a reason. God knew what was going to happen to Cornerstone in 2022. God also knew who was going to be here in 2022. Corporately as a church, we must walk together trusting God and continue to worship God together. And in due time, we'll have, I promise you, like I've seen it happen, I promise you, we will have a collective testimony. We will look back at 2022 and say, remember that time when we were uncertain about X, Y, and Z? And look at where we are now. God is so good. It excites me to think about that day when all of us will have a story to tell. We will understand what we're talking about and we will be able to brag about God's love, his power and grace to us. The truth is that God doesn't need Cornerstone to exist to prove that he's faithful. But as long as Cornerstone does exist, I pray that we will be a church that grows in reflecting back on God's past faithfulness, not just as individuals, but also us as a church. I also pray that we will be a church that clings to God's future promises together, not just for my life and my career and my relationships, but for us as a church. Long after you leave Boston, long after you finish up your programs here, I pray that you are rooting for God to show up in powerful ways at Cornerstone. There are people doing that for us right now, people who have long left Boston that want Cornerstone to be a church that makes Jesus known. Through Exodus 15, today we need to see, we need to come and see what God has done for his people at the Red Sea. But we also need to see what God has done for you and me in our individual lives and as a church family so that we can also come and see what God will do for you and me in our church in the future. Amen. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, help us to see you, help us to know you, and those experiences lead us to obeying you and to trust you going forward, not just for our individual lives, but also as we think about the people we're sitting, are standing next to, the people we worship with Sunday after Sunday. And we cannot wait cannot wait to know how you will prove yourself faithful to us as individuals, to us as a church, and to your bride as a whole. We pray for all the churches that, that uh, are gathering today. Would you bless them as well? Would, would Boston be better off because of all the churches that, that are meeting and that Jesus would be known as a result of all of the worship being lifted? So be with us, Lord, as we uh, head into our upcoming weeks, that we would come and see what you have done, and that we would also come and see what you will do. And now may the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God the Father, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit 
be with you all, both now and forevermore. And all God's people said, Amen.